Good morning. We are so glad that you can be with us for the second Sunday of Advent in this holiday series. We started last week and we talked about how while this is the most wonderful time of the year, it can also be the most hectic time, the most busy time, the most expensive time. And if you've experienced some sort of of tragedy or loss during the year, it can be a difficult, difficult time. And with all those things going on, sometimes we we are left feeling like a deer in the headlights, a little bit dazed. And so that's where where we're focusing this week. We're using uh, the the person of Joseph, the earthly father of Jesus, as kind of our guide to to shape us uh, this Christmas season, looking at Christmas from his perspective. He's never quoted. Mary's quoted. Even the shepherds, they're not named, but they are quoted. He's only listed in 16 verses total. In, in all of the New Testament, the Gospel of Mark never mentions him, neither does, does the book of Acts or any of the epistles. Mainly his story is told in Matthew's Gospel. And, and so we have this, this person who plays an important role and yet is not uh, uh, very widely known. The things that we do know about him is he was a carpenter. We're not told that in the Christmas story, we're told that in Matthew 13. We looked at that passage last week. And, and the, the, the word for carpenter that is used to describe Joseph is tecton, which means a worker in wood. But around Nazareth, uh, there wasn't wood houses. There were, most of the houses were either mud houses or made out of stone. So really, he wouldn't have had a lot, lot, lot to do. It would have been a very poor profession. He would probably have made doors or shutters, uh, maybe yoke for oxen. It wasn't a highly acclaimed position that Joseph was in, so he was very, very poor. We, we also know that, that as, as we stated last Sunday, that he was from the house and line of David, but that was 14 times removed. And so being, uh, 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 having a little bit of royal blood flowing through his veins didn't help him much. He was still poor. It didn't help him much. And when they went to Bethlehem, he, his accommodations were not great. Remember, they were in the stable, even though his, his wife was expecting a baby. And so we talked about, in many ways, how Joseph was belittled, a, a, a nobody, a poor guy from a nowhere place. Nazareth was, was looked on with, with much disgrace. Uh, no notoriety, nothing really impressive about him. But then we talked about how God uses nobodies and how really in God's kingdom there are no nobodies, that, that he just has his children all highly valued and prized. And that's true for Joseph, but that's also true for, for you and me. That, that God used that nobody, quote-unquote nobody, Joseph, in great and wonderful ways as he was the earthly father of Jesus. Well, the one thing we failed to mention, but we all know last week, is that Joseph was engaged to be married to Mary. Now, in those days, it probably was an arranged marriage. That's how, how it went that, in, in those days. More than likely, his folks met with her folks and they decided that that the couple would be married. There was no courtship, no holding hands, no flowers on Valentine's Day, no candy on Sweetest Day, no Joseph Loves Mary graffiti at Nazareth High, nothing like that. Nazareth was a small town, so it could be that they knew each other, but that wasn't required that they would, would know each other. The, his family could meet with her family, and, and that, was, that was that. It was a deal between two families. And the contracts they signed were so binding that if, if uh, uh, they wanted to break off the engagement, that, that it wasn't just where you would, you know, whip off your, 
the, the engagement ring and throw it back at him and say, that's it, I, I, I don't want to marry you anymore. No, no, it was much more complicated than that. It was so binding that even before the marriage ceremony, the, the couple would be referred to as husband and wife. It's kind of a complicated deal. When talk between Joseph's family and Mary's family got serious about that, and, they, and it came time for them to, to, to formally announce this engagement to be, the groom's family would, would pay what was called a mohar. A mohar uh, was, was money that the groom's family would pay to the bride's family. It was a, a bride price, if you will. Remember, it was a very male-dominated culture, agricultural culture. And so, so the bride's family, uh, the bride would work around the house or maybe even work in the fields. And so to compensate her loss to that family, the groom's family would pay money to the bride's family. And it wasn't a small amount. It usually was about the amount that it would cost to, to purchase a house, a one-bedroom house, if you think of it that way. So it wasn't a small, small amount at all. And that, that mohar was mostly set aside just in case something happened. If something happened to the groom, if he decided to divorce his wife, or if he died unexpectedly, then that mohar would kind of be, be left there so that the bride could, could reestablish herself. Not only was there a mohar, a bride price that was given at that time, there was also a, a gift called a matan. Now, the matan was what the groom would give the bride. Think of it almost like an engagement ring. It would be worth uh, uh, money set aside, again, several months' salary of the groom. And it would be money that was at the, the bride's disposal. Normally, again, she would, she would keep it just in case something happened. If she was divorced or if her husband died, that would be money set aside for her so that she could, she could live. Then, then not only that, the, the groom's family would often give expensive gifts to the bride-to-be. Think of it as a, a baby or a, a wedding shower on steroids. Once all those, those monies were paid, then they would sign an agreement called a ketubah. And the ketubah was, was where they would formally sign the engagement uh, proceedings and the groom would promise to, to uh, provide a house provide a living, he, he wouldn't be lazy, and that he would love his bride-to-be. This was all done very, very publicly. Again, should the, should the groom break the ketubah, should he break it, should he, should he uh, uh, divorce his wife or, or, or in the event of his death, then the bride got to keep the, the mohar, the matan, all the gifts, all those things. And once that ketubah was signed... Once everyone agreed to it, they were legally husband and wife. Now, they wouldn't sleep together until after the wedding ceremony, but should they sleep with someone else during that time, they would be considered adulterers. Very, very serious. It was a done deal once that ketubah was signed. And because of all that, no doubt Joseph thought his future was set. The ketubah was signed. The mohar, the matan, they they were paid. The gifts were given. The deal was done. He and Mary would get married. Probably there'd be a few bridesmaids, maybe a few groomsmen, a couple of flower girls, maybe. They would, they would have their reception at the Nazareth VFW Hall, and, and they'd invite all their friends. They would settle down to a nice, quiet life. He would establish his Joe's carpentry and woodworking shop, and they would have a house with a picket fence. Probably not, but they'd have a house. 
maybe down the road a few kids would come along and, and he'd coach soccer and, and Mary would slice up the orange slices and they would cheer for Nazareth High when their kids got there and everything would be great. That was the plan. Of course, we know that plan didn't, didn't happen that way. Sometimes life doesn't go exactly as we have planned. Sometimes even the best laid out plans get thrown awry. And happily ever, ever after doesn't always happen. Have you been there? Maybe, maybe you're there right now. I think the Christmas story can really help us. See, see, when we get into this story, I want our focus, again, we're looking at it through Joseph's perspective. And, and I want us to look this morning at the perspective of Joseph when he receives the news from Mary that she's expecting. But before the angel comes... And, and appears to Joseph in a dream and tells him that what Mary told her, told him was, 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 was right. That everything Mary said, that, 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 that Joseph didn't need to be afraid to take her as his wife because, because what she said was true and she hadn't been with another man and the, and the child she was bearing was of the Holy Spirit. But I want us to look at before that. I want us to look at Joseph's reaction to the news before the angel showed up when Mary told the story. When he was stung by the news that his fiancée was expecting a child, and he knew, he knew, he knew he wasn't the best. So if you have your Bible, you can look with me in Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. We're just going to read two verses. And Matthew tells it this way. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law. Many translations say that he was a righteous man. Because Joseph was a righteous man. And yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. Let's stop right there. Right, here's what we know. The engagement papers had all been signed. The tuba had been signed. The gifts had all been given. She had received the, the bride price, the mohar. She had received the matan from, 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 from Joseph. The deal was done. They, they were supposed to get married. And then Joseph hears this, this unbelievable news. And with that news, imagine it being you, his world came undone. All the hopes and dreams that he had had or thought he had with Mary were thrown out the window. Joseph, we're told, is described as a righteous man, a faithful man. And yet, when Mary tells him this, he doesn't believe a word of it. Not not, not one word. His, His plan is divorce her. Divorce her quietly, but divorce her nonetheless. Can you blame him? I suppose we could say that Joseph is the first one to doubt the virgin birth. If anybody, he was the very first one. She told him the news, he didn't believe a word. I've had people down through the years who have, who have spoken to me, told me they doubted the virgin birth. We talked a little bit about that this summer when we were talking about and, and preaching through the, the Apostles' Creed. But I've had people come to me and say, you know, it's, it's just something they can't wrap their, their mind around. They just don't understand how that, that's not the way biology works, is what they say. And I can understand that quite honestly. It's not the biology that gives me trouble. You know, in nature, uh, there are species that, that, that reproduce asexually. And so I figure if God can do that with, 
lizards and bugs or whatever. He could, he could do that with a human, I suppose. It's not the biology that's, that's difficult for me. It's more the theology of the whole thing. That, that God himself would come to earth in the form of a man. That's, that's the big, big news. Matthew will later say and quote, quote the prophet Isaiah and say, Look, the virgin will conceive a child and she will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. God came to be with us. That's the amazing news. You see, we're Jesus people. We believe that Jesus is the Christ. He's the Savior. He's the Lord. He's, he's God's son. He's Emmanuel, God with us. So it's the theology of it all that's the big, big news, not really the biology of it all. But for Joseph, to hear that news from Mary was certainly outside of his realm of understanding. It was outside of of his experience, his frame of reference, that she would be expecting a baby and that he, he knew, he knew, he knew he wasn't the daddy. And so all he could say is, no way. I don't know what happened. I don't know know what you're telling me, but if you're expecting, and I'm not the father, I I don't believe the story you're telling. And so Matthew says, yet... He did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. Again, he's described as a righteous man, a faithful man. You know, righteousness, faithfulness is, is, is best seen in the challenges, I think, of life. When everything is going along smoothly, when there's no problems around, you could tell me that you're righteous or I, I, they were innocent, they were guilty. I had no idea. I believe them. I'm, I'm gullible, I guess. I believe, I believe, I believe. When things are going smooth, you know, you can, you can get away with that. You can say you're, you're one way when you're, when you're really the different. But when stress level goes up, when trouble comes, when there's pressure, that's when a person's true character is revealed. Trials and tough times don't build character. Trials and tough times reveal character. And so, this righteous man is told that his fiancée, his wife, in that culture, is expecting a baby. Let's say, for argument's sake, that you're, that you're a nobody carpenter from a podunk town, pledged to be married, thinking your future is all set. You've paid the... the, 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 the you've signed the kaduba. You've paid the mohar, the matan. All of that has been done. And yet she tells you that she's expecting a baby. What's your reaction? Again, you're, you're a righteous man. That means that you're going to do right in the eyes of the Lord. In the first century, doing right in the eyes of the Lord meant that you're following the law. That, that you know the law, you're following the law, that's what it meant to be a righteous person. So what does the law say about this circumstance and this situation? If your, your fiancé comes to you, your wife comes to you and says that she's pregnant instead of being a virgin, what does the law say? Well, Deuteronomy 22 tells us what the law says, verse 20. If, however, the charge is true, if the charge is that, that the man's wife or, or fiancé is not a virgin, if that's true, and no proof of the young woman's virginity can be found, she shall be brought to the door of her father's house, and there the men of her town shall stone her to death. She has done an outrageous thing in Israel by being promiscuous while still in her father's house. You must purge the evil from among you. That's the law. That's what the law said. Skip down a verse and you can read more law. 
If a man happens to meet in a town a virgin pledged to be married and he sleeps with her, you shall take both of them to the gate of that town and stone them to death. The young woman, because she was in town and did not scream for help. The man, because he violated another man's wife. You must purge the evil from among you. You must purge the evil from among you. That's the law. So a righteous man, in this circumstance, in this situation that Joseph found himself in, could, in a very public way, reveal the content, reveal the shame, reveal the, the sin of his former spouse, former fiance, and she would reap the consequences of her actions. Now there's some question as whether the Romans allowed this to take place in the first century. Maybe they did, maybe they didn't. There's questions on whether, whether this was actually taking place in the first century under the Roman rule. But even if Mary wasn't stoned in her front, uh, in, on her front porch or at the city gate... It wouldn't take long for the people in her town to realize that she was expecting a baby. You can't hide that forever. Then it would be very soon, very painfully obvious to everyone that she was pregnant. And the natural assumption would be, since Joseph had a reputation of being a righteous man, the natural assumption would be that somehow she was a harlot or a sinner of some sort. She would be viewed from from that point on as that type of woman, where, where no man, no, no, no respectable man with any dignity would ever be seen with her again. The, 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 the notion is that the, your past behavior is an indicator of your future behavior, and so no one would want to be around her. She cheated once, she'll cheat again. The mohar and the matan would be returned to Joseph's family. Mary would face humiliation and shame, a bad reputation that would follow her the rest of her life. That's how it worked in those small towns, those small villages like Nazareth. She was pledged to be married to a good man, a righteous man, and she blew it. Poor Joseph. He was betrayed in the worst possible way. His fiance, in a culture where they're already referring to him as his wife, his wife stabbed him in the back. She ripped his heart out. She told him this news, this story about how how she was pregnant, but he wasn't the daddy. You don't recover quickly from a betrayal like that. And some of you know what I'm talking about. Some, Some of you have been there. You stood in front of a church, in front of all your family and friends, and you promised, you promised that you would always be there for the other person. That, 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 that for richer, for poor, in sickness and in, in, in health, in sickness, it, till, till death do you part. That was the promise. You kept your end of the bargain, but they didn't. How do you recover? You know, what do you do when, when betrayal happens? It's so horrible. What do you do? Several years ago now, a, a man came into my office, another church, and, and he was just distraught, completely distraught. And he had come from his home, but before that he had been at his, his workplace. And when he got to his job that morning, his, he was a business owner, he had a partner. When he got to his, his, his workplace, he discovered that his partner wasn't there, his best friend, they were best friends and partner, wasn't there, in fact had, had embezzled all of the money out of his company. Every, every, every cent his company wouldn't survive. And, and, and when he discovered that news, he called his wife, she didn't answer. He called again, she didn't answer. 
And so he went home to tell her this terrible news that his best friend, partner, had embezzled, stolen all of their money. When he got home, he found a note on the, on the countertop. It was from his wife. She had run off with his business partner, best friend. So he came to my office. A wreck, I mean a total wreck. I, at points he was suicidal, at other points he was homicidal. I didn't know if he was going to kill himself or, kill his, or want to kill his, his partner and wife. It was a mess. And, and, and while in, in the end he didn't kill or harm anyone, it was a mess. I don't know that he ever really fully recovered. It was a horrible, horrible, terrible mess, betrayal on all sides. What do you do when you've been betrayed? Maybe your first reaction is anger. Maybe it's rage. Maybe it's vengeance. Somebody's got to pay. Maybe your first reaction, you know, is fight. Or maybe it's flight. I need to get out of here. I need to leave. I just need to to put all this stuff behind me. What's your reaction? There's a character in an Agatha Christie novel that says, Why shouldn't I hate her? She She did the worst thing to me that anyone can do to anyone else. Let them believe that they're loved and wanted and then show them it's all a sham. What do you do when you've been betrayed? When you've been crushed? See, that's where Joseph... Again, the angel's going to come. And the angel's going to tell him, listen, everything Mary said is true. You don't have to worry about it. But there are several hours in there before Joseph gets that message. And in that time, he decides he's going to divorce her, divorce her quietly. He's going he's to be done. Again, that life principle, character isn't built in trials. Character is revealed in trials. And so what was revealed in Joseph? The tail end of verse 19 in that first chapter of Matthew tells us it reveals what type of man Joseph was. So often we just read over it. We don't think much about it. When it says, and yet, and yet of this worst possible news that anyone could ever receive, and yet be- even after his, his, his fiance, his wife, said that she, she had, was expecting a baby that wasn't his. And yet, and yet all of that, he did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. What does it mean to divorce someone quietly? Well, the, again, the papers had been signed, right? The, the matan and the mohar had already been, been paid. To divorce her quietly would mean he that he changed his mind. And when it became evident, people would have father. And that her, uh, he, he had a change of... Joseph would be the one that was seen as dishonorable. Joseph would be the one that would take the blame. Saying, I will accept the, 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 of what's going to take place because I don't want you to, to, to have a life... He did not want to her to public disgrace. There's only one way to do this. If he took all the blame, you keep the matan, you keep the gifts, you keep your dignity. No one will be put to death. Whose story is the true in his mind story? Just think about that. Again, the angel's going to come and tell him everything is right. Joseph, you know, don't be afraid. You can take her as his wife. He had every reason to believe that he had been betrayed and wronged, that he was, 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 uh, that she was unfaithful. And as such, he no doubt felt like you and I feel when we've been betrayed, when someone has, has stabbed us in the back. And yet, what was his response? Fight? No. Flight? No. Instead, Joseph showed mercy and forgiveness 
and grace and understanding and kindness and empathy. He had been betrayed, or so we thought. But he refused to seek revenge. He refused to denounce her publicly. He didn't, you know, slap a, I don't get mad, I get even bumper sticker on his donkey. None of that. He instead gives us an example of how a righteous person behaves even when they've been betrayed. When they've been stabbed in the back, when they've been lied to or lied about, when they've been wounded and beaten up, Joseph shows us the way of forgiveness and empathy and grace and mercy and compassion and understanding. Again, in life's challenges, what's revealed? Our character is revealed. When the chips are down, when, 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 when everything is going against us, our character is revealed. And what character was revealed in Joseph? He was, he was righteous. He was faithful. Not vengeful, not bitter, not seeking to humiliate. Faithful. Listen, this is the Christmas season, and Christmas can be hard when you're having relationship issues. Maybe those are things out of your control. Maybe the, uh, the loved one passed away, and that's just, you know, it, it makes it hard. But maybe the relationship issues are betrayal, or dealing with divorce, or kids who have seemingly forgotten you, or parents who don't understand, or a friend who stabbed you in the back. You've been lied to or lied about. What do you do? I mean, let's be honest. We're not, we're not robots. We're human. We've been hurt. What do you do? It's hard. People who I know that have navigated successfully through difficult times of betrayal, they're the ones who are like Joseph, who refuse to take a path of bitterness, who, who, who instead show mercy and grace, who who refuse, if we're getting really practical, who refuse to speak poorly of their ex. Not just in front of their children, but in front of anybody. They live by my mama's motto. You know, if you can't say something nice, what is it? Don't say anything at all. That's, that's exactly it. They refuse to regurgitate the pain and relive the hurts over and over and over again. It's what I call called dwelling and retelling. They pitch their tent in the pit and they tell anyone who will listen over and over again of how they've been hurt and how they've been wronged and how bitter they are and they just zoom all the, the garbage in upon themselves over and over and over again. They become inward focused rather than outward focused. But the people who are successful when they've been betrayed, when they've been, been hurt and wounded are the ones who continue to show love and kindness. Here's the kicker. Even, even when it's not reciprocated, even when the other person is still being a, a jerk, even when they're, they're pushing all the buttons that set you off, it's saying, I'm not going to sink to their level. I think it's allowing God to work. It's surrounding yourself with Christian friends. Maybe it means going to a Christian counselor. There's nothing wrong with that. It's practicing forgiveness. Help us, Lord, to be the people that strive to be like you in everything we say and do. Thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for how you're working. Bring us back tonight for the Jingle Jam. It's going to be a great night in your house. In Jesus' name, amen.